Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, and I am Joe trying desperately not to laugh about a joke we were talking about off air, and with me today is Liam. Hello, Liam. Ready to do a, oh, I missed it, ready to do a genocide, baby, Uh, Not, not, not you and me literally doing a genocide, but ready to learn about genocide. I've got my eager cap on. I'm ready to learn about the unspeakable horrors of man's inhumanity to man. Doing a genocide uh, is not, in fact, a new Patreon goal. Uh, although we no, no, <laughs> I was going to say we could go to war in South America. Oh, no, you know, that's if the Patreon uh, gets funny. Operation Condor <laughs> round two, baby. Liam and Joe and all sorts of unpronounceable places. This is, this is what happens when the, the CIA pays for our Patreon. Sorry. Like, thanks, boys. T- anyway, today's sponsor is Dole Bananas. Um, <laughs> it's brought to you by the United Fruit Company. Yeah, there's just gunshots in the background. Actually, saying today's episode is brought to you by Dole while I'm sitting in Hawaii is oddly apt. Um, Ooh, yeah! Congratulations on living on stolen land, you ass! Right back at you, homie. <laughs> no, 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 this was paid for, sir. My house was covered in the original treaty. Uh, you mean uh, you no, mean like the original treaties that the Germans used to take this- land? Interesting. No, interesting. No, this one was fair. This one, the fir- the <laughs> Iroquois nation themselves have said this one was fair. Uh, I, this this one I for- specific. Treaty. I forgot about the Jewish branch of the Iroquois nation. My bad. <laughs> That's me. That's me. Oh God, me and Liz Warren just chilling. You know. Fuck. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, when we left you, I'm just kidding. She's not Jewish uh, or native, for that matter. Uh, She's just a asshole. Oh, I just spit up my crib. <laughs> I'm glad we could laugh at the beginning of this episode because that won't happen again. We're not going to be no. laughing in a second. Yeah. When we left you last time, the German colonial government had dispatched Kurt von Francois, the weirdestly named German guy I've ever heard of, uh, and his security troop to destroy Henrik Witboy, the local Namaqua chief that ruthlessly dunked on him and made the entire colonial enterprise of Germany look like shit on every turn. Also, you know, he had the the misfortune of being a black guy uh, in a colony, which is never uh, good if you want to survive. Um, you know, no, of course, in order to support this, Francois and the colonial government did everything they could to push stories back home, uh, in, you know, the actual empire, not the colony, uh, about how terrible the Namaqua were, which is interesting when you think about it, because they knew that like, even the people back home would be really mad if we just slaughter these people. Uh, 
Oh no! But dude, they're uh, okay. So not to not to like put too fine a point on it, but like the Germans would be mad about slaughtering natives. Yeah, you might be like shocked. The Germans of all people, honestly, you might be shocked about the 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 German response uh, to this. Is this going to be some weird like white like white man's uh, burden shit? Kind of. I mean, it, it's it's a lot like when you look at how I don't know uh, Sierra Leone and. Uh, uh, a couple other places in Africa founded where like the least racist people in Britain were like, let's just send them back to Africa where they can be free. It's like, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, I mean, there's Liberia, Liberia. exists. Yeah. Uh, that's why it's called Monrovia. Yeah. Um, but it's like one of those situations like, God damn, you guys are so close to getting it. Um, I'm going to imagine they didn't, they get did it. not get it. No, oh. it, it was mostly in like, you know, <laughs> like a lot of, anti if you want to call it anti-racism i think the the word is a bit strong for this is based in religion you know they're like you know god said we're all equal and they're like well welcome to the german empire where we're not but um you know they were pushing propaganda uh, effectively about um how brutal nama attacks were um how if only they man. were bloodthirsty monsters and cannibals and uh, you know not just some dudes who wanted the germans to leave them alone so, yeah, and, it, you know, it was they didn't need to spread this within the colony so much because the, the the settlers knew what was going on. I feel like the settlers of all people are already on board for a genocide like that. I mean, settlers, is, right? is, <laughs> yeah, like it's part and parcel, man. Like, like, if you, imagine, if you will, a genocide train. They have now taken on water at, at the genocide train station. <laughs> And are just raring to go. I mean, that, that, that's exactly like what we talked about in the, the first episode with uh, we were talking about Raphael Lemkin's concept of genocidal colonialism. It's like he didn't have to change the name. It's implied. Right. Uh, there's right. no other way to do this. Um, so with that, Francois led his force of a few hundred men against what his scouts told him uh, was the encampment of Henrik Whitboy himself and hundreds of his fighters at the, a place called Horncrons. Uh, this depends on who you believe regarding this event, and because we truly don't know, I will tell both sides of this, and I will uh, make it pretty obvious which one I believe. Light and centrist, everybody. Yes. Now, one side is Henrik's fighters, uh, shot it out with the security troops until uh, they broke out of the encirclement, running into the mountains. Uh, the other is the security troops bombarded Horncrons for hours before sending in soldiers with guns, finding it was just a civilian encampment and Henrik's fighters had left for the mountains sometime before. What I do know is, shockingly, all of the dead bodies were unarmed, uh, which I'm sure leads to the second one. Yeah, no, they just they yeah, they just killed a bunch of innocent people and were like, oh, no. Yep. We didn't know that we were bombarding them for hours, not getting shot back at. There's a there's a reason why this as is known as like the Horncrons massacre do. and not like the Battle of Horncrons, right. which I'm sure uh, there is someone who would call it the Battle of Horncrons. Like there is people um, who insist that it is some dickhead at the Battle of Wounded. Yes, Day. it was Stephen Crowder What's, actually. Yeah. Oh God, what a fuck! I fucking hate that guy, man. Yep. I mean, they're all grifters. Crowder's terrible. Like Ben Shapiro, you can just sort of laugh at, but like Crowder, Crowder is sort of like Dave Portnoy, but worse to me in that like everybody takes him so goddamn seriously, like least of all himself, like most of all himself, I guess. And I just like I, I have fucking had it with the like debate me bros. You know, I 
That's just all I Once had. upon a time, I, I, <laughs> I challenged him because he lives in Michigan. He's, he's originally from Canada, moved to Michigan. Um, and I, I once challenged him to a, a charity fight. Um, and I have to withdraw from that because it seems like his internal organs are beating his ass way harder than I ever could uh, currently. So <laughs> Now, uh, either way, at the end of this, at least 200 civilians were killed. Most of these were women and children, uh, which leads to uh, the idea that Henrik's men had withdrawn some time before. It gives a little, more, a little bit more heft to that argument. Also, you know, there is some arguments like, why would Henrik abandon them uh, undefended? And it seemed, at this point, there hadn't been any large-scale massacres. Like, he assumed that they were coming to fight them. And if they would have fucked off into the mountains, they'd leave these people alone. I think Henrik, along with a lot of Herrero and Nama, at this point, are realizing that things are changing. Right? Right. So they're not... So they're just... Yeah. Okay. It's, it shifted from a war phase to a genocide, um, and right. we'll get significantly more explicit in those orders later on. It, and we already have one. Remember, the object of this mission is to destroy the tribe of the Witboy, which, which was Francois's order. That's an extermination order. Right. He wasn't to destroy the fighters. He wasn't there to kill Henrik. Those, those were additional goals, but their total goal was annihilation. And this is reinforced afterwards in an interview with the German newspaper of one of uh, Francois's soldiers repeated those orders when asked about them, saying, quote, after three days march, we camped in a valley of tangled rocks on April 11th. It was here that our captain told us that he had decided to destroy the tribe of Henrik Whitboy. So they're just now openly doing it. Oh, yeah. This cool. is cool, 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 cool. I'll call this the first step. Uh, this isn't a complete uh, extermination order of the Namaqua people because there's various different tribes. That's coming. Uh, this is a regionalized is. one. Afterwards, Horncrans dominated headlines in Germany. Francois justified his actions against the Nama as militarily crucial. In interviews after the battle, he... Motherfucking war. What? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, dude. I mean, remember... You just killed a bunch of people. Remember, after Wounded Knee, we gave up medals of honor that have yet to be rescinded. Yes. Oh, they're never taking no. it back, man. I remember, like, you telling Nick that, and him being like, what? And me being like, yeah, they're never fucking giving it back. Like, no. Oh, Do no. you still collect a pension from, like, the battle of... The fucking bet Jesus wept. The massacre of Wounded Knee. Um, if someone was still alive, probably, yeah. Uh, now, hi, great. I love this country. I do know that the military historians do not call it the Battle of Wounded Knee. Uh, they they rightfully call it a massacre. Uh, and cavalry units, from my understanding, have striked it from their heraldry, which is about as progressive as you can imagine the U.S. military being in that in the whole Western expansion yeah. era. Yeah, we took out the words they had it coming. Yes. <laughs> um, now, in interviews after the battle, uh, Francois praised the, quote, excellent non-commissioned officers and riders for Germany's victory and portrayed the Schatz troop as the only barrier between, quote, civilization and savagery. Uh, Great. That's fucking terrific. Now, Henrik survived. Uh, as I said, you know, he ran off from the mountains and he offered his That's own account right. on the assault to a letter to John J. Cleverly, the British magistrate in Walvis Bay. Uh, which he condemned Kaiser Wilhelm II for, quote, sending his soldiers to Africa to kill innocent women and children. I do not think so great a power in men and ammunition, so mighty a captain of civilized power would make war with such smart, esteemed people as mine. 
to steal upon me in my sleep the little children and women and men Francois has murdered. I previously could not think this possible of a white man. You, uh, I know you just got here, bud, but, uh, no, I, I, what, pe- what people are I see what he's doing, terrible. though. I, I, I totally yeah. see what he's doing. Because remember, yeah. he's writing this letter to a white guy and it's going to be right. published almost. And it was published in, in, in the UK or the right. Empire at the time, whatever. Right. Uh, so he's appealing to the, you know, the, the superiority of white men. Like, you think you're so right. great and this is what you do. Like, look at the hell that you've brought my people. Right. Um, and remember, he was doing that when he uh, was writing German papers as well, because, you know, he was appealing to Christianity, even though, I mean, you know, Lutheranism was always, uh, I believe, the dominant religion in Germany, but like or Protestantism, whatever. Uh, I, I don't care. But Gross. either way. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Protestants are terrible people. Uh, I don't know. Uh, to the surprise of, well, me and probably you. You keep that in, Nate. You keep that in, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna burn something in Northern Ireland with your name on it now. Um, yeah, it's Liam. It's pretty common. I'm sure somebody already has, man. Just a big fucking effigy of my face. I mean, honestly, send, send me a picture. If, man. We, if you burn an effigy of me, send a picture yes, to me. I want that as my phone I second background. That. Uh, if you ever burn an uh, burn an effigy of any hosts of this show, please send us pictures and videos so we could make it our banner. Um. To the surprise of me and probably you, Henrik's account was read and widely believed in Germany rather than Francois'. Oh, wow. Do we know why? Uh, because he seemed, uh, I don't know, like he wasn't bending, like he wasn't spitting out propaganda. The, 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 he had no reason right. to lie, right? Right. Now, it didn't matter, though. Remember, Germany skipped over democratization. It never occurred. They have a Kaiser. Right. Uh, and like between the Kaiser and the Chancellor, they've, I mean, the, the, um, they've already made up their minds. And the Reichstag is largely uh, nothing. It, it can't do anything. So, like, it didn't matter. Horrific. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great. Cool. Roll time. Yeah. Uh, you know, problems with Empire and all that. So, there are problems with Empire, nah, Joe? Depends on who you are. Uh, my name is Stephen Crowder, <laughs> and I'm a Canadian. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to PragerU. Imperialism bad? Have you thought? Good, uh, actually. Just roll every credits. Every time I fucking see Dennis Prager, man, I'm just like, all right, listen, listen. I like, and I understand. I, you know, you were telling me about the nuances of throwing the word capo around, but like, he's a fucking capo. <laughs> I'm just like, you would be like, like, stop appeasing these people. Like, is it just so you can be first? In, you get cutsies to the death camp lines, like when they take, like when fucking America first takes power, and we all have to go like to the concentration camps and so Dennis Prager could be fucking first. I mean, it, it's like the there's a an a Syrian Armenian uh, guy who. Um, his first name is Kvorik. I can't remember his last name. It starts with an A. Uh, he went to um, Germany as a refugee, even though he loved Assad, um, and then started hanging out with um, the AFD, uh, you know, a neo-Nazi organization, which hilariously got him deported. Um, right back to the dictator he loves so much. Smart, smart guy. I- you know, in an episode, don't hang out with don't hang out with Nazis. I I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, in an episode where we are going to say many bad things about Germany, at least they deported that guy. <laughs> and you know, like I said, I don't agree with borders in general. But until that day comes, fuck that guy in particular. <laughs> See ya, dude. Yeah. Uh, and I can man, say that I, I'm uh, Armenian. Fuck him. <laughs> 
I, uh, I fucking dude, I was in Germany and I was just like, oh man, like they can smell it on me. They can smell it on me. And you land at Frankfurt and they're just like, you will be taken to terminal five for processing. And you're like, no, I fucking won't stamp your passport, no. bust out calipers. <laughs> like, wait, I thought we, this, this says Unenschwein on it. <laughs> so according to the size of your brain pan, you must go down this walkway. Oh God. Uh, I don't want to go into the cattle shoots. <laughs> now, the, the, all of the arguments for Henrik Whitboy were spun against him by the, clo- the pro-colonial side. Uh, they argued that Henrik Whitboy's tribe had clearly become friends with the British on kind of you know all of their correspondence with the British. And you know the, there was a British warship <sighs> called the Magpie that showed up in Walvis Bay. Did it do anything? No, just kind of sat there. So what's the fucking problem? Look at just sitting there menacingly. <laughs> hey, and they called us assholes. And Henrik escaped colonial authorities, and he, they assumed the only way he could ever pull that off is if white people were helping him. More specifically, the British, right? The British. Sure. And Why not? Yeah, the Germans were worried that as long as he remained free, it was not only seen as a failure of the colonial authorities, not the Empire, of course, because... This is on the colonial authorities. Plausible deniability city, baby. Uh, And they were worried that, you know, he could run off to the British and be used um, as some kind of pawn by them, which sure. But it was never going to be a situation where they side with Henrik Whitboy, overthrow the colonies and put a black guy in charge. That would be tight, though. It would be tight if they had done that. I mean, remember, the Brits own like the next colony to the right. Of Namibia. Right. <laughs> like, also South Africa. Uh, so, yeah, not happening, guys. But since Francois was still in charge in the colony, uh, he decided to murder his way to peace. And cool, 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 cool. What small problem here? He failed, right? Uh, he failed in murdering his way to peace and you know murdering hundreds of tribesmen while you know obviously evil immoral and all of the other words uh it did more than that it made the settlement look unsafe this hurts henrik wearing a shirt in battle that says bombing for peace is like fucking for virginity right. uh <laughs> yeah he uh he hurt investments like whoa wow look at this huge battle that that could be bad so he got fired for fucking with the money, not for genocide. Oh, okay. Yeah, that nah, dude. Is this uh this isn't still uh Goering's dad, is it? No, no, no. Ger- There's too many people running together for him. Uh, right? Francois got fired and he was replaced by a guy named Theodore Lutvine. Um now he would become governor and security troop commander, a job that kind of molded together under Francois that hadn't pri- previous to that in April of 1894. Now, Lutwein was weird. He believed in a strong colonial... He was German, Joe. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll, give you the, I'll give you that one. Uh, he uh, believed in a very strong central colonial government, much like the central imperial government of Germany. And as such investments were strained because of, you know, the massacres, he... Doing a genocide, It's going to hurt the bottom line. Uh, who would have thought? Don't fuck with the money. Stop fucking with so the money. I can't imagine walking to someone's office at, like for them to fire you. and be like, no, no, no. We don't care that you brutally murdered like 800 people. 
But it's that meme of the of the but. guy rubbing sweat on his forehead with two buttons. But it's like do a genocide, uh, get money, and it's a German. Uh, now I hate these fucking people, man. <laughs> I hate Germans. Uh, Leave that part in too, Nate. You know, I had. I'll just move on. <laughs> um. Lutvine saw a uh, also I know there's going to be Germans that say I'm pronouncing his name wrong I'm sure I am I tried I tried to find uh, like a decent pronunciation guide to this and uh, I couldn't because German warps those for me Um, he decided the best way to centralize the government authority was to purchase all these private land holdings um, and businesses that were struggling due to the lack of investment and then put them on the colonial administration Uh, and this would allow more settlers to see that their you know, their entrepreneurial efforts were backed by the government, right? Even if they failed due to, you know, genocide, uh, you'd be fine, right? Sure. But he also knew he'd have to make peace with Henrik Whitboy. And he favored diplomacy rather than war in order to do so. Now, Thanks, don't think of he's as a, as a good person. We'll talk about Never we'll, we'll talk about this, the reason later. Because while I was reading him, like you know, for a colonial dickhead, this is about as good as it gets. Rapidly proved me wrong later on. Um, in February 1894, Lutvin wrote to Whitboy and Francois about Francois' dismissal and expressed his desire to establish a lasting peace between Germany and the Namaqua people. He said, quote, in consideration of the gallantry shown by yourself and your men, I hope we can work out favorable conditions. If you will cooperate in, the, in this final chance to put an end to the bloodshed. Three months later, Lutwein explained that, quote, Germans do not intend to wage war against your people, but instead wish to work together in peace with you. I therefore hope that your people will accept my pledge and they will return to their homes with my permission. Wow. How noble of you, guys. Yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, dude. That's what I've been waiting on here in the land I've always lived in. Yeah, thank thank you for allowing me to go back to my home, you fucking prick. <laughs> in his reply, this wallpaper just says "suck a dick, Germany" <laughs> on it. <laughs> I, I make sure to fly a, a flag outside my house. It's just a burning German flag around the clock. I go through a lot of flags. That's honest work. <laughs> In his reply, uh, Whitboy congratulated Lutvine on his promotion and acknowledged that renewed discussions offered a greater prospect for peace. But he also reprimanded Lutvine for what he considered a, quote, unwarranted assault against my people and remarked that any peace would, quote, require more than a few minutes or a single day to arrange. This, Yeah, that's, that's, that's reasonable. Yeah, I would like more than a, a crisp apology for the genocide, please. Um, this led to months of discussion between the two men. According to both men, they actually became friends, admiring each other's ability to make their arguments about their own side. But as you can imagine, they could never agree on simple ideas such as Henrik's demand for freedom and Europeans to fuck off back to Germany. It's a hitching point, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I just love the idea of like, what are your terms? It's like leave, and the other and the term is just like, oh, well, we can't do that. It's like, okay, we've already invested listen, so much money. It here. says leave in capital letters. I wrote this in blood. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't come off easily. I will write more. Uh, Ludwig Use, using a, a some German captured soldier as a giant sharpie. Get me a knife. I have to put this in italics. <laughs> Ah, fuck. <laughs> Lutwein during all of this was shit on by his fellow Germans for being too easy on the Africans. Uh, 
remember too easy here means not killing them not genocide <laughs> yeah <laughs> and by all accounts Ludwine wasn't more of uh, i would consider baseline racism for the day he was racist i mean he was a white colonial yeah, of course administrator. He, was. he was german yeah <laughs> sure also that. also that yeah i mean come on man i know it's both but like my people were genocided by the Germans. I'm going to take my shots at them. Yeah, I mean, it's I would consider him as racist as any European during the time outside of, I don't know, Belgium. Uh, he treated Henrik, at least on paper, as a peer, not a rebellious tribesman. And he did not talk down to them. And loot, I mean, thing, things could only go one way. And that was Ludwig's way because he was the colonial administrator of the German Empire. Right. After five months of discussion, he wrote to Henrik again. The fact that you do not want to submit to the German Empire is not a sin, nor does it make you guilty, but it is extremely dangerous for the stability of the territories currently under German protection. Therefore, my dear captain, all further letters in which you do not offer your surrender are in vain. I do hope, however, you will agree that the war we now face will be fought in a humane way. Which is... I'm just making the I'm just making the jerk-off motion. I need you to know that that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, that and the, the, the concept that uh, conquering European power to actually treat um, African soldiers with respect that they would treat other Europeans is unique. Sure they will. They won't. But, you know, he says he will. Yeah. <laughs> the, hey, you know. But after the massacre at Horncrowns and the brutal policies of Francois, the Whitboy tribe had not recovered. The security troops were able to quickly surround him and force his fighters to surrender. Where, to his word, at least yet, the Germans did not treat them harshly. And from there, German administration of the colony only grew. Henrik, previously one of the colony's greatest enemies, finally signed a protection order and worked as an arm of the security troops to help put down other tribes. The German power base grew and expanded, and institutional power grew with it, such as the expansion of railroads, settlements, and government offices. The railroads one will become... Trains! I'm going to assume they're going to be used for nefarious That's right, baby. Oh, why do I like trains? You you, want (laughs) to guess where the Nazis got their ideas on how to use trains? It wasn't Uh. the Ottoman Empire. It's because they did it already in Africa. Round two. Ugh. Now, this is what Lutwein wanted, and all this made the governing colony much easier for him as the natives were slowly being absorbed into systems where they'd be treated terribly. Um, now, this is pretty much apartheid. Um, it, it's the easiest way to explain it is that he forced apartheid onto them. And if you did not submit sure. to apartheid, you were boxed out and forced to flee the colony altogether. Now, all of the best land at this point is owned by Germans, so there's not much left. For many, if not most of the native population, the ability to live outside the colonial government quickly became impossible, which was the point. Sure. The natives could not own land within the administration, and those outside it saw settlers getting closer and closer. Before long, they probably assumed they too would have their land taken. Their cattle, the lifeblood of the lifestyle of both the Herrero and the Nama, were taken by settlers as well. While there were colonial courts that natives could possibly complain to... By the law of the colonial administration, one white person's word was as good as seven natives. At no point did they ever what? overturn a land dispute. What? Welcome, uh, God, welcome to colony. Very slightly better than nothing. Just kidding. <laughs> welcome to not That's a death so camp yet. Not a death camp yet, baby. <laughs> like just hurriedly, hurriedly uh, hiding the side that says death camp. <laughs> 
Things got more tense as instances of outright racist violence became more widespread. In one case, a German trader got drunk and attempted to rape the wife of a Herero captain. We remember as captain means chief. Then <clears throat> she resisted the assault and he shot her dead. This made just about what a fucking asshole. Yeah, he's dick. Uh, this made everyone mad, as you can imagine. The Germans considered him a race trader for attempting to rape a black woman. And the, what? Okay, that. Oh, what? Yep. Really? Yep. Okay. And the native population was shocked because you know it was one of those things like if this could happen to the wife of a captain, it could fucking happen to anyone, right? Like the captains are supposed to be untouchable, even to the Germans, because you need them to pacify the population on your behalf, right? And also, that woman was the daughter of another captain. So, like, this is hitting all sorts of different strings here. Now, the colonial court dismissed the charges against the man, saying he was temporarily insane. I assume temporarily all the way until the body hit the ground. Yeah. No, he he fucking wasn't. Ludwig had to intervene personally to make sure the man was actually charged and convicted during a second trial, which also pissed off the German population in the colony and Germany itself because he took the set of Africans over a German. In other... You can't see it, but I'm just like hitting my head into my mic stand. <laughs> In other situations where Germans would beat servants or workers to death, they were also treated leniently, never being sentenced to more than three years imprisonment, while normally being re- released only six months later. In, con- oh, in contrast, cool, 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 cool. if you were, say, an African and a white man attempted to murder you and you fought back, you were routinely flogged to death. Yay! Go, Ludwig! It's humane, goddammit. That's right. <laughs> what, many questions that could be easily answered by my it's humane, goddammit shirt. Yeah, but Ludwig didn't want to do genocide, so he's the good guy, is what like some historians like to show. Slow motion genocide is still ge- is still genocide. Hey, you, 30% of a forest fire is still a forest fire. You do not, fire. in fact, have to hand it to the guy who implemented apartheid. No, no you don't. I uh, And I think he implemented it first. Like... This is the f- hey man. <laughs> He's a pioneer, Joe. Yeah, that's right. He 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 uh, is a disruptor of human rights. Yeah. <laughs> Innovation. <laughs> and it's just some guy getting flogged. He's to truly death. the Elon Musk of human rights. <laughs> well, that is terrible. It wouldn't set the colony on fire again like the next move like Lutvine would in 1903. While planning for another line in the local railway, it was decided that it would cut straight through Herrera and Namaqua lands, dividing them on either side. If that wasn't bad enough, the populations would then be moved to, wait for it, reservations. Uh, did they get that from us? Uh, probably. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Uh, which in true historical American style, which be shitty land, not good enough to grow anything, which is why the Germans would be fine giving it up. Yeah. Now, at this point, the Africans had ceded more than 50,000 square miles to the Germans in various different agreements in order to secure protection, sovereignty, in some case, just access to food and water. Yeah, we did that, too. Um, At the same time this was happening, Lutwein decided to uh, decide the local money lending policies had been horrifically unethical and decided to stop them. Now, you see, at this point, the natives were trying desperately to assimilate into German society, hoping that going with the flow of things would make their life slightly less terrible. And all, all sure. they did is get exploited along the way. 
Oh, that's crazy. I can't believe the Germans would do that to them. In order to work within this world, these natives had to get money, which they had no use for before. So they could go to these right. German money lending places and take out loans to buy tools. They were in a f- the Germans had fucking loan sharks. Yes. Uh, no- Part of your genocide is loan sharking. How, how high you want to guess these insur- these interest rates were? I don't know, 40%. Very high. Yeah, more money than the natives <laughs> would ever make in a lifetime. Now, this is actually a... How are you such a dick that loan sharking is part of your genocide? <laughs> now, the incredible part is this is actually a two-time grift. Now, the people lended money to the Africans knowing they would never be able to pay them back uh, because, you know, they had no money or belongings. So the money lenders would then make a claim with the colonial administration and then be paid by the German government. <laughs> Now, this is a grift that literally did not hurt the natives at first, but the re- because they were never going to make any money. Like, that's how the colonial administration works. You sell them tools on loan, so then you can make money from your own administration on losses. And these people work as, you know, less than sharecroppers um, on land that sure. used to be theirs, right? Um, as not all of them had become slaves yet. Um, they were... Slaves with extra steps, as I think how I explained uh, yeah. apartheid before. But uh, but in the, the the money lenders didn't give a shit. They were making out like they were making mad bank because the government had to assure their loans. Because if they didn't, everything would collapse, and Louis Vine wanted this shit to be centralized and made everybody dependent on the government. So it was it was a good grift all around until Lutvine actually looked at the details and was like, "Man, we're losing a lot of money on these loans. You can't do that anymore." This led to a massive problem. And I don't want to give Lutvine credit. He probably didn't see this coming because he's a fucking idiot. He's like, no, I ended the bad loans. Bad loans stop now, right? Now uh, uh, here comes the problem. When he uh, ordered this to stop, uh, the last of the payments had to be made on these loans within the end of the year. And anything after that, anything you owe these money lenders would just be voided, Right. Uh, just, oh, we did a jubilee. The, the loans don't <laughs> exist. Everybody is free of debt. Problem solved, right? The government, and if you're a money lender, the government's no longer going to be picking up the tab for your shitty grift loan that you knew you weren't going to get money from. I, I wasn't ready for the genocide to have loan sharking and then a jubilee. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, I'm strapped in, baby. So the money lenders simply went out and hired mercenaries, many of them the local soldiers oh. of the security troop. <laughs> Right. And then walked out to the African lands where they were working and ripped anything up that they could sell in order to make money on the debt. Some of those were people. So wait, say that again. So they they took the soldier, they hired the soldiers right from the security troop, um, you know, uh, and then went out to where the Africans were working to steal everything they owned to make up for their debt. If that wasn't enough, they simply took their children. Oh, cool! Fucking great. Okay. Now, this had something... Should have just left it a jubilee, man. Yeah, and Lutvine was like, hmm, I didn't see that one coming. But I'm- Can I get the drop, please? <laughs> I know you want to use it. Just give me the okay, drop. Thank God. Okay, so this drop I have prepared for you is President, former president uh, of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson, ordering pants over the phone. Um, and it might be one of the best pieces of comedy I've ever heard. And it's kind of long, so it's probably a little over a minute. Here it is. I need about six pairs uh, to wear around in the evening when I come in from work. And 
I can send you a pair. I want them a half inch larger in the waist than they were before, except I want two or three inches of stuff left back in there so I can take them up. I vary 10 or 15 pounds a month. So uh, leave me at least two and a half, three inches in the back where I can let them out or take them up and put it, make these a half inch bigger in the waist. Make the pockets at least an inch longer. Money, My money and my knife and everything fall out. We just... Hello. Hello. Now, another thing the crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make Thank them you up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire pants. These are almost these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me. Uh, you never do have much margin there. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper ends uh, around the, under my back to my bunghole. So I can let it out there if I need to. I love it so much. I just love that the president is somehow gaining and losing 15 pounds a month. It's just like a... <laughs> his knife is falling out of his pockets. And it, 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 his, his giant cartoonish dick is too big for his pants. <laughs> Prepare to be Jumbo! <laughs> That's the, 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 the most powerful man in the world saying the word bunghole will, ever, will never not be funny to me. This is a man with a nuclear code. Yes. Yeah. It's just like a burping slob. I see him like plaid <laughs> pajama pants. It's just incredible. It's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. Um, which, like, you know, that got like declassified or whatever because him and Nixon alike both loved recording everything. So I really am curious how many other like gold mines are out there that we don't know about. That's the funniest shit I've ever heard. Oh, I love it so much. That's staying on the soundboard for, <laughs> for future use. <laughs> Or maybe just him burping or saying bunghole one or two. Now, um, when you have armed formations of debt collectors, you know, kneecappers or whatever, showing up to your home and stealing your children, your your hatred for Germans turns to hopelessness, right? Uh, like, what can we possibly do to like continue living here, right? Guerrilla attacks. Oh, that's coming. And then Good. with that opportunity. In the south of the colony, another tribe was resisting German efforts to surrender their weapons, leading to an outbreak of violence. At this point, things with the Herero and Namaqua had been what the administration considered pacified. So, Lutwein did not consider them a threat whatsoever. So, when this thing popped off in the south, he personally led the vast majority of the security troops south to put down this latest rebellion, leaving the rest of the colony virtually unprotected. Really rooting for this guy to get a bullet between the eyes. Uh, I wish I wish that happened. Um, I know it doesn't. I'm just saying. This finally sparked the Herero tribe under the command of Samuel Mahajero to rise up in revolt. He wrote a letter to Henrik Whitboy, even though they had been fighting each other for years. And at one point, one had been used against the other by the Germans to put them down. Saying that they should both forget about their, uh, how they previously worked for the Germans and their fight against one another and unite together to fight the colonists and forget their decades of bad blood. He ended the letter with, let us die fighting. 
Uh, and Badass. Yeah, and in 1904, Mahayero's Rebellion swept through the colony with almost every major and minor tribe joining in, descending upon unguarded settlements with revenge on their minds. In January of 1904, Herero fighters attacked the town under strict orders not to target women, the, uh, the British, the clergy, or children. That's too many things. And they still killed 123 people. Uh, yeah, and yeah, no. mutilated their corpses. Now, oh, I do. That's rude. I do have to say, as I get it, I you know, I get it. Like now, it, it's kind of like the Zulu thing, um, where people are like, oh, they mutilated the British corpses and all this other stuff. Uh, well, it's like there's very specific reasons for this. Um, in Herero society, and I believe in Nama society, there's specific mutilations you did to people who you considered cattle thieves to make sure other people never stole cattle again. You know, uh, cutting off ears, lips, noses, things like that. And that's what they did to the Germans because they consider them cattle thieves. Not, um, not, yeah. And now they did that while they were still alive, and then they cut their throats. Eh, yeah. Eh, I'll, excuse, I'll, I'll excuse it. It's rude. You know, but I'll excuse it. If you it. want my sympathy, don't be a, a settler. <laughs> don't do a genocide. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and admittedly, he had significantly more restraint than any German military formation in, say, I don't know, the next 40 odd years uh, because he specifically did not target innocent people. Now, he, well, innocent men, women, or children, or women, or women children, and uh, British people. <laughs> Because remember, the Brits were their allies, uh, sure. kind of. But you know, if you were a man and you weren't a child, you're you're fucked. In which case, bye. Uh, it's unfortunate, but whatever. This just says sucks to suck on yeah. it. Yeah, you you were in the fucking around part of Empire. Now you're in the finding out. Herrero and Nama fighters raided post offices and burned government buildings while soldiers were miles away in the south. Herrero used this opportunity to raid government storehouses and wep for weapons and ammo, replacing a lot of, uh, not a, a lot, not all of their traditional weapons. Uh, back in the German Reichstag, uh, they openly demanded violent revenge against the Africans. This is where things get real Nazi adjacent. Fantastic. Racial scientists were brought in in front of the oh, German no. leadership to explain how the Herreros were, quote, mere brutes who were innate criminals incapable of culture. Newspapers ran stories about how Herrero fighters raped and tortured German women, which never happened. But that didn't stop the stories from being heard around the world, read across the Western world. Like, the, these ended up all over the place. Weren't they just believing... Uh uh, about Henrik's tribe, not Henrik. Uh, Henrik Ripoy, yeah, yeah, Henrik Ripoy's tribe, and believing him, like how how far apart are is Henrik's letter and and the couple years? Okay, publishing companies. I hate these, I hate these fucking people. What man. if I told you that there was genocide trading cards? Uh, I believe you, uh, and be horrified and unfortunately kind of intrigued. Publishing companies printed violent racist trading cards that showed acts of imagined violence against Germans in Africa. These were packaged with soap, chocolate, and other normal goods to be traded by children. Fun! Why? (laughs) Why? They're they're for kids. What's a kid going to do? Like eight years old, like, yeah, volunteer to go defend the honor of my people in the white race. (laughs) I like how your Germans immediately (laughs) sound like they're from Alabama. (laughs) What's that? I can't do German. (laughs) 
A trading card displayed the Herero people as rioting and rebelling against the German colonizers. It depicted them as dangerous, showing the Herero looting the home of a German man, the house burning, and a German dead and dead in a pool of blood outside. The Her- Good. <laughs> the Herero are seen as carrying bundles of valuables as visual proof of theft, and it shows the cartoonishly racist version of Africans co- Africans committing violence against innocent German women. It's like. Blackface shit, like uh, uh, like yeah, minstrel type propaganda. Of course it is. The Kaiser himself demanded retaliation, and Lutwein responded. He finally redeployed his security troops back north, right into the waiting arms of the Herero fighters. They, knowing the land like the back of their hands, waited for the uh, waited in an elevated firing position for the Germans to come back. And the Germans underestimated their enemy, thinking to be you know Untermensch. And walked right into multiple ambushes over and over again. Good. Within the yes. <laughs> within the first few months of the rebellion, nearly ten percent of the entire security troop had been killed, and, and they had not managed to pin down the Africans and force them to fight them, like you know, in a stand-up fight, which is stupid. Nobody wants to do that. Instead, the Africans would ambush them, steal their shit, and run back into the mountains. What is incredible is that through all of these skirmishes, the Herero fighters were hardly armed or supplied. Remember, they did steal some guns, but they were pretty limited. Um, like they said, uh, around 20 cartridges per weapon when they stole them. So they're, they're pretty much gone already. Right. Uh, so these guys had to like run up and club Germans to death, which is kind of funny. <laughs> so, hey, what's up, guys? Oh, this bat with spikes on it? No, this isn't for you. I see your, uh, your bolt-action rifle, and I raise you this cricket bat with a nail in it. <laughs> oh, good, sir. Hello. <laughs> Just the man I was hoping for. Uh, and it, eventually, they did get more and more guns, but they were always badly out, uh, out-armed. Uh, and you know the Germans had... Uh, they didn't have machine guns there yet, but they did have pieces of field artillery. So, like, yeah, there was... Uh, they should have lost, but they did it pretty much every turn. Ludwein wrote to Maha Arrow, asking him to put his weapons down and face no repercussions, telling him that if fighting continued, the war would be taken out of his hands, and the full weight of the German military would be sent to Namibia to deal with him. He did this independent of the German government, who wanted him to prosecute this war until they achieved final victory, which, you remember, in this case, probably means them all dying or being enslaved. Um, now, Maha Arrow knew this was going to be the case, but told him that it was better to be a dead man than continue living under German oppression. And it, unfortunately, it turned out both of them would be right. Lutwein was fired and replaced by an absolute fucking psychopath named Lothar von Trotha. He, that is a good, that's a good villain name. I will give him I will that. say that he definitely I, lives up to his name. I assume he is a genocidal dickhead. And someone that is unfortunately championed in World War I military historian circles um, that don't... Cool. You guys have got to fucking stop. It's one of those situations where they look at what he did on military campaign during World War I and then stop anything before that. Um, But he had made a name for himself committing war crimes in the name of the German Empire across most of the world. He had fought in German East Africa and commanded troops during the Boxer Rebellion during which time his incredible violence was seen as so horrific and disgusting that other allied nations didn't want to fight with him as part of the eight-nation uh, alliance. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, and if you remember back to um, 
our Russo-Japanese War series, the the Boxer Rebellion is where uh, like Kaiser Wilhelm goes off the deep end as far as his racism is concerned. <laughs> yeah. Pretty openly, yeah. Uh, and Trotho's like, yeah, all right, let's do that. Let's do the racism. Now, what, when uh, Trotho arrived in Namibia in June of 1904, he brought with him tens of thousands of soldiers, as well as modern rifles, machine guns, and artillery. Whereas Lutwein, for all of his faults, did not see a strictly military way of ending the conflict, trying throughout to get sides to simply go home and then you know, go back to how things were. Trotha was the exact opposite. He was a hardcore racist and a eugenicist. Upon taking command of the colony, he said, quote, I know enough about the tribes in Africa. They all have the same mentality insofar as they yield only to force. It was, it was and remains my policy to apply this force by absolute terrorism and even cruelty. I shall destroy the rebellious tribes by shedding rivers of blood and money. Only then will it be possible to sow the seeds of something new that will endure. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. That's right. It, it's uh, it's kind of incredible uh, that he was saying these things openly, even, even for back then. Even for him, yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy's so racist, the colonial powers wouldn't work with him. Oh, Lutwein's goal had been pacification, uh, which was made very obvious uh, when Trotha got to the colony that. uh, So this this is the part where I said, don't worry, you'll see how bad Lutwein is. Apartheid is bad enough, obviously. Um, When Trotha got to the colony, Lutwein reminded him that whatever you do, remember, you should leave enough Africans alive to be used as slave labor because that's what he saw them as. Lutwein saw right. them as slave labor. He didn't see them as people. He would treat them as people to get them to work for him and then enslave them. That's what his ultimate goal was. Trotha declined, saying that the only option was extermination to remove them as a threat to the German settlement. And as soon as he got to the colony, he's unleashed a terror that I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Uh, it random black people would be subject to random violence. In the capital of Winhoek, uh, Africans were chosen at random and hung as a warning in public. What? Dude! His soldiers terrorized Jesus the city Christ. and countryside, dragging anyone they captured back to be hung as well. And their oh. corpses would be left up for days in order to scare the African public. In one case, three gallows were built and used to hang over 300 people at one time. By this point... Even though they were winning, their hero were exhausted and low on supplies. And even though the last governor kind of sucked at his job at putting them down, he had cornered them and, and pretty much nearly destroyed them at the Waterberg Plateau. The Herrero, numbering nearly 60,000, mostly civilians, were forced to survive on grass and a very dwindling supply of water. Uh, by, by I mean, like, the, the rebel army was mostly not an army. It was just people running with the armed force. Right, like their camp followers and families. The vast majority of these sixty thousand people were unarmed. Trotha, sure. wanting to end the war, spent three months shipping soldiers and equipment to the area. By August, the Germans had surrounded their Herero on three sides. What do you What do you think on three sides, not four? Uh, so when they run away, they could uh, outsquare them in even further. Something really fucking depressing was the four side a cliff. Was the four side I don't know a boiling vat of acid. Was the four side just like a pit of rocks and spear? I hate this game. You have the right idea. The fourth side was the wasteland expanse of the Kalahari Desert. Oh, okay. 
That is when Trotha made his intentions very clear in what he intended to do next. And he published his first extermination order to the Herreros themselves. It said, quote, I, the great general of the German soldiers, send this letter to the Herreros. The Herreros are the German subjects no longer. They have killed, stolen, cut off the ears and other parts of the body of wounded soldiers and now are now too cowardly to want to fight any longer. I announce to the people that whoever hands me these chiefs shall receive 1,000 marks and 5,000 marks for Samuel Mahajero. The Herero nation must now leave the country. If it refuses, I shall compel it to do so with long tube, which means cannon. Any Herero found inside the German frontier with or without a gun or cattle will be executed. I will spare neither women nor children. I shall give the order to drive them away and fire on them. Such are the words to the Herero people. Now, what happened next is generally called the Battle of Waterbird. It was not a battle. The better armed, trained... Steven Crowder, where are you That's at? right. Uh, Stephen von Trotha. Uh, the better armed, trained, and led German soldiers moved into the Hero and Kamet, shooting anything that moved. There was some token defense put up by defenders, and most of them didn't even have guns. They hadn't camped out there to fight, and so they were simply waiting for the Germans to respond to their peace efforts, but those responses wouldn't come. Tens of thousands were driven into the, de- into the desert, which was Trotha's entire plan from the beginning. As the Herrero retreated into the desert, von Trotha ordered the Schutz troop to block any and all exits, then sent others to the desert to prevent the Herrero from accessing water holes, poisoning them and shooting anybody who came near them. This, ensure- this ensured that the Herrero, who were forced to flee into the desert without any provisions, would die there. Now this is done with the reason that would eventually come back to the annals of German genocidal violence. Trotha knew many, not all of his soldiers, would have a problem shooting women and children. When one of his soldiers showed concern at being asked to do so, Trotha insisted they still had to die because, quote, they infected German troops with their disease. So by sending them into the desert to die, it wouldn't be at the hands of his own men. This is like that firing squad thing with the blank bullet. It it just, okay. I mean, it's it's exactly as um, when you watch the evolution of the Holocaust, you saw this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You saw the reserve police battalions and the death squads uh, eventually break down into alcoholism and suicide for shooting people. Uh, and the Germans said, like, well, we can't keep doing that. They're not shooting people so good anymore. So that led to gassing. Uh, it was the exact same evolution just beforehand. When the shots troop came across Herrero men, women, and children lying near death, they're instructed by Von Trotha to finish them off with bayonet and clubs to save ammo. All right, I surrender. Can I get an animal fact, please? Uh, you're so close. That means I have to find some. <laughs> no, you know what? It's fine. I'm good. Go. Go ahead. Too late. Just, Too late. This, no, one's, for the, this one's for the fucking listeners, because this is going to get worse. Oh, great. Sorry. You're welcome, actually, listeners. <laughs> I, I should be open in the fact that the, the animal facts are never for my guests. Um when playing with female puppies, male puppies will often let them win, even if they have a physical advantage. Say that again. When playing with female puppies, male puppies will often let them win, even if they have a physical advantage. All right, now repeat it until we run out of episode. <laughs> Cows have best friends. Aww. Aww. Now, Major Ludwig von Estorff. Uh, who questioned the wisdom of massacring the Herero, asked Von Trotha if it wouldn't be better to take captives, you know, for slaves. Sure. Uh, Von Trotha reiterated his assertion that no Herero could be allowed to survive due to the threat that they pose to German settlers. 
After weeks of hiding in the desert, some Herrero began walking into German camps in an attempt to surrender. The Schatz troop welcomed them into their encampments and then shot them dead. Gerard Omaheke accounts at how he and several other Herrero fighters were shot after surrendering. And it was only after lying out under a pile of corpses of his fellow friends and family that his life was spared because they assumed he was Christ dead. Almighty. Still others were turned around and forced to go back out into the desert at gunpoint, to which what was certain death. When one soldier refused to stab an emaciated, an emaciated Herrera woman to death, another grabbed his rifle with his hands and stabbed her for him, saying that it was the only way to deal with the Africans. Jan Kloitz, a guide for the Germans, recounts how Germans, laughing as they did so, threw a Herrero infant into the air like a ball and caught them on their bayonet. Jesus. I I fucking hate it here. Uh, the Gen 2 penguin and proposed their life mate with a pebble. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is this is nervous laughter. I, I don't mean to just I, just, I don't mean to, uh, to no, upset anybody. Cra- dude. Uh, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. All right. <laughs> Let's fucking get through this. This is this is nervous laughter. I apologize, Teddy, listener who thinks I'm just being a dick, but Jesus wept. Soon, the German attention was turned towards the Nama people with the same intentions. Trotha wrote the Nama on April of 1905. Why even fucking write them? Like, honest, why even fucking write them? You're just gonna do a genocide. Right, it's not like these guys are actually gonna pick up yeah, a move. They- yeah, exactly. Like, just you know, like not to not to tell the Germans of all people how to do a genocide, but like, why even fucking bother with the letter, man? Yeah, right. I mean, and like some of the um, Herrero made it across the Kalahari Desert and actually got to the British colony on the other side, where they were taken in. Um, you know, to a fate that wasn't great, but it was certainly better than this. Be- your child being speared on a bayonet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work. Great, fucking fantastic. Quote, the Nama who chooses to surrender and lets himself be seen in German territory will be shot until all are exterminated. Those who at the start of the rebellion committed murder against whites or have commanded that whites have be murdered by law forfeited their lives. As for the, as for the few not defeated, it will fare them as well as fared the Herrero, who in their blindness also believed that they could make war successfully on the powerful German emperor and the great German people. I ask you, where are the Herrero today? That's some serial killer shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, he, he is legitimately a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is legitimately shit. a serial killer. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the Hitler thing. Who remembers the Armenians today? Yes. Yeah. The Nama, Henrik among them, did their best to fight off the German offensives, but would fail in the same way the Herrero did. And they too were killed or driven off into the desert. I think Henrik's last words were like, um, it's been enough. It's time for the children to sleep now. Eventually, the policy of trapping hundreds of thousands of people in the desert was abandoned, mostly due to falling out within the German government. We're talking about genocide here, which means I have to bring up the question of responsibility, right? Uh, that's something that we will never shirk away from, and we shouldn't. No written order exists of Kaiser Wilhelm II greenlighting or ordering von Trotha to carry out a genocide in Namibia. However, there's plenty of proof to show that he knew and approved of it. For starters, the general staff knew about it. 
the, the German general staff's official publication, which was known as Der Kampf, wrote, quote, this bold enterprise shows up in the most brilliant light of ruthless energy of the German command in pursuing their beaten enemy. I hate fucking Germans no so pains, much. <laughs> no sacrifices were spared in eliminating the last remnants of enemy resistance. Like a wounded beast, the enemy was tracked down from one waterhole to the next until finally he became the victim of his own environment. The Erd Omeheki, which is desert, was completed and the German army had begun. The extermination of the Herero nation. The Kaiser knew and the Kaiser oh, was yeah. fine with it. That means responsibility yeah. falls on the entire German state and military. If the general staff knew and the Kaiser knew, that means there's no innocent people in the German government, which is like, well, I can't believe we could say that about the Germans. And like, admittedly, I fall into this as well. A lot of people believe that the World War One Germans were just like dumb imperialists like the rest of them. Like they weren't Nazis. They weren't that bad, but they fucking were. They, yep. they were Nazis with a crown <laughs> instead of a swastika. Yeah. There's a reason they kept the Iron Cross, man. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they still do. <laughs> I, I, I know. Listen, I'll, you know. And just to, to tie that together into World War I, you are aware who Alfred von Schlieffen is, right? Yeah, Schlieffen. Yeah. Plan. He was a huge fan of this. Of course he was. Uh, he was the, he, I mean, he was the chief of staff at the time. Uh, and he thought he was, what everything he's doing is fine. Um, so yeah, like the the responsibility of the the Namibian genocide is the entire German state. It's it's, it's that's that's it. A lot of I've seen some people pin this as independently von Trotha's venture. It's absolutely not the case. Um, so there were several people who were not fine with what was happening. And just to be clear here, it wasn't because they thought Africans were human and because they were against colonial violence. It was because they wanted to use the Africans like Ludwig as slaves. This included the German right. Chancellor von Bülow, who asked the Kaiser to tell Trotha to stop because it'd be economically devastating. Because you're killing all the slaves. Yes. Jeez, that's some Robert E. Lee shit right there. Von Trotha answered only to the Kaiser. So the killing went on until the Kaiser changed his mind and ordered Trotha to stop, which did happen. And then they built concentration camps. Then they then they built. They didn't need okay. them before. Little out of order, but all right. Now, if you're wondering why, where did they get the idea for concentration camps? Is it from us? It's from the British. Uh, that's not now, me. I'm not English. Thank God. For people who don't know or don't remember, uh, the British built concentration camps. Most people think of them as the first modern uses of concentration camps uh, it, during the Boer War in South Africa. Right. Uh, and even the name that they used was the direct German translation of the British term concentration camp. So, yeah, they got the idea from the British. <sighs> now, the largest of these, and by far the worst, is the Shark Island concentration camp, which opened up in March of 1905. Nobody's entirely sure of how many people ended up there within its walls, but it's thought to be in the tens of thousands as the imperial government began sweeping the desert and plains for the survivors and throwing them into the camp. Once there, they'd be forced into slavery on the farms, but mostly on building a railroad between Luderlitz and Aus. Uh, now, conditions within the camp have been described as apocalyptic. Oh. Are talking Andersonville apocalyptic? Worse than Andersonville. Okay, that's fucking terrific. Shark Island was not previously inhabited. It was considered uninhabitable. 
It right. was incredible. There was no cover. It was windswept and dry. Uh, the winds coming off the ocean were bitterly cold, but the sun, I mean, it's Namibia, incredibly hot. Yeah. Uh, the people were held within the camps were not given any more than the clothes they came with. Many of them were naked. They were given contaminated water and fed a diet of uncooked rice and flour. They were not allowed to build fires. Deaths when the camp began as soon as it opened. And uh, it, they thought it's on a normal day, 20 people would die. And that's why um, its reputation spread far and wide. Everybody knew about this fucking place. And soon when Herrera or Nama people were cornered by Germans, they would immediately attempt to kill themselves because they knew where they were going. The Cape Argus, which is a South African newspaper, uh, ran stories about the conditions within the camps, saying, quote, Women who are captured and not executed are set to work for the military as prisoners. They saw their numbers at the Angra Pekina, i.e. was just like looterlitz, put to the hardest work. And so starved, they were nothing but skin and bones. They were given hardly anything to eat. And I have very often seen them pick up bits of refuse food thrown away by the transport riders. If they are caught doing so, they are whipped. Uh, for, re- for reference here, some of these quotes use the terms uh, slamboked, slambocked which is like a regional term for oh, getting yeah, lashed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quote, there are hundreds of them, mostly women and children and old men. When they fall, they're slamboked by the soldiers in charge of their gang with full force until they give up. On one occasion, I saw a woman carrying a child under her, a, under a year old slung across her back with a heavy sack of grain on her head. She fell. The corporal slamboked her for certainly more than four minutes and then slamboked the baby as well. The women struggled slowly to her feet and went on with her load. She did not utter a single word the whole time, and the, but the baby cried very hard. Animal fact, please. Scroll down. I just, uh, <laughs> Nor- Norway knighted a penguin. Aww. Yeah. There's even a little picture of him walking alongside a military formation. He's adorable. But he's going to do a genocide, too, because that's just what we have now. Uh, Sweden has a rabbit showing jump competition called the Canaan Hoppin. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. All right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous laughter. Um, uh, I feel sorry for Nate for having to listen to this. That's a fucking this great. This I fucking. What if we just forbid Germany from existing, like ever again? Uh, make Germany eighteen different states again. Yeah, yeah. None of you. I don't trust you, fuckers. You're going back to Prussia. Split all their power back up until they're powerless to do anything. Enjoy your princely states, dickheads. <laughs> During their long days working unprotected and mostly naked under the brutal African sun, it fell. Uh, they people would fall out from exhaustion. Literally, the best case scenario is they were left there to die. According to an eyewitness, a woman who was so weak from illness that she could not stand crawled to some of the other prisoners to beg for water. An overseer fired five shots at her from a pistol. Two shots hit her one in her thigh, and one smashing her forearm. She was left there to die several hours later. Bodies piled up quickly. No effort was made to dispose of them. Instead, according to another eyewitness, cold for the nights and bitterly cold here. Hunger, thirst, exposure, disease, and madness claim scores of victims every day, and cartloads of their bodies were every day carted to the, be- carted to the back beach and buried within a few inches of sand at- and at low tide, they came in and the bodies went out, food for the sharks. Disease ran rampant through the camps, and the only medical treatment available was experimentation. Uh, so, proto-Mengala. 
Cool. Oh, Great. more yeah. than Proto Mengele, the guy who taught Mengele. Oh, well, what a fun little through line for us. The doctor in charge of the camp was a guy named Eugene Fisher, a eugenicist who worked directly for the Kaiser, who really loved him some race science. Apparently. Fisher at one one time helped found the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Anthropology, Heredity, and Eugenics. That school would eventually train such alumni as Josef Mengele and Henrik Vorverd. That second name probably doesn't stick out to you as much as Joseph Mengele, which, you know, I'll give you a pass on because it's Mengele. But if you happen to live in South Africa, you might know him as the guy who started apartheid. Sorry. (laughs) I hate Germans. I just just really hate Germans. Fisher would, of course, go on to become the lead Nazi expert on eugenics and come up with the Fisher-Solder scale for hair color, which probably sounds kind of innocent. It's just hair color, but it was one of many things used to determine. No, it's not. No, it's Nazi yeah, shit. It's, it's, it's Nazi not shit. It's, it's, a, it's not a hair color scale. It's still used, just under a different name for like uh, like typifying hair colors and stuff. But it was used to see if someone was Aryan or not. He also came up with the specific measurements of skulls and facial features that would determine if someone was Jewish or not. Oh, okay. Meaning that this man very well might be responsible for more deaths in human misery than anyone we've ever talked about on this show. Eat a dick, fucko. Rest in piss, bitch. Well, I'm alive and he's not, so who won that one? That's right. Fisher's main goal was to what else? Oh, another side note: those same eugenics charts were used by the Ottomans too. So you, you, oh. this guy is, has his hands in hey, at Joe. least three genocides. Hey Joe. hey Joe, we're just pals yeah. here. The the Brotherhood of the Calipers. Um, uh. <laughs> Fisher's that's important. <laughs> Fisher's main goal was to what else? experiment on how to sterilize Africans as well as collect the heads of dead people so he could measure their skulls and bones to better characterize their you know, measurements to, to, for eugenics. He compiled all of this in the book, The Principles of Human Hereditary, Heredity and Race Hygiene, which inspired Hitler so much he wrote Whoa. Mein Kampf. Yeah. yeah, I hear, I hear race hygiene. Oh, yeah, there was a whole like. Nazi <laughs> department called race hygiene. Yeah, yeah, don't like that. Um, now, these skulls were brought to Germany for studies. Lots of them. You you, you want to guess how long they were there? Uh, I don't know. Enough that, that Mengele put one down his pants. It was like, ah, finally, I feel something. 2014. Uh, God, what? <laughs> <laughs> the University what? What of Freiburg. <laughs> the German Just University of Freiburg returned them in 2014. How noble of them. That's right. Uh, there was actually a, another one in another university that ended up with it kind of like on accident. And they returned it in 2018. Oh, sorry. We have the skull from a genocide we did to you guys. You guys want this back, right? Yeah. We found this in our uh, basement. Uh, Felix von Luschon, the director of the Ethnology Museum in Berlin. Great name was an ethnologist obsessed with collecting human skulls and skeletons. So he drew up guidelines for travelers to German colonies, instructing them how to pack skulls, skeletons, and human brains for shipment. He boasted you could get a human skeleton for the price of soap, which I assume was made out of this fat that once inhabited that skeleton. This created, and I swear to God, a skull rush. 
Uh, animal fact, please. <laughs> I so I did not come up with that term. I need to point out. Um, exterminate all the brutes did, and uh, well, that that was like their terminology. And I read that right. passage at least three times. Dolphins have names for each other. Thank you. And puffins mate for life. And I've seen puffins when I was in Iceland. They're adorable. I love puffins. Waddle it around. Not doing a genocide. (laughs) Say what you will about puffins. They're not German. Um, So this skull rush created such a demand that soldiers cashed in on it. They forced slave women to boil and flay heads of dead men with pieces of broken glass so they could sell them to scientists back in Germany. Another aspect of this camp was sexual slavery. Special German camps were set up where soldiers could go and select camp victims to rape. The children that came from these atrocities are sometimes aborted, but since this is the early 1900s, I would also sometimes kill the mother, something that was not considered a problem to the German doctors. Other time, German soldiers would simply kill them. In another case, they were given to camp doctors for medical experimentation, like sterilization, which also led to death. That was actually one of the main things that fueled Fisher was he uh, saw that there were so many mixed race children being born of things like this. He's like, well, we can't let them breed. And that was the main uh, motivating force for his experiments. Uh, thankfully, though, the camp was closed by 1908. Great. But the suffering would not end. Uh, 80% of camp victims died within the camp system with the few remaining Herrero and Nama who survived being sent out to work as slaves across the German colony. The best case scenario here was apartheid again and slavery. Germany's control over Namibia would finally end at the end of World War I when it was taken from them and given to the Union of South Africa. Fuck. <sighs> Well, I'm sure with, with you know treated whoever was left very well. What's behind door number two? Ah, oh, it's apartheid. Fuck, it's apartheid. Well, at least it's only genocide in slow motion. By the end, the Herero and Nama people were absolutely devastated in what would become the first of many genocides within the 20th century. It is thought that the majority of those of both populations were destroyed in the genocide. At least a hundred thousand people, but probably more. Many of these same ideas, methodologies, and even people would go on to slaughter Armenians, Greeks, Yazidis in the Ottoman Empire, and Jews, Roma, homosexual, trans people, and black people during the Holocaust. This is the gene seed of modern 20th century of genocide. There's really no good way to end this, except with some recent news. In May of 2021, Germany acknowledged their crimes, calling them genocide, um, though how big of them? Obviously and unfortunately, none of the perpetrators are alive today to catch the short drop. Take them up. Take them up. Take them up. Defenstrate them. Take them up. <laughs> Take them up. And see how they like it. And while Germany refuses to say that they're paying reparations, they are in the form of one billion dollars to uh, Herrero and Nama communities. Now, this is contentious. Um, there's a lot of Herrero and Nama communities that did not want this. Uh, they they good. don't think it's good enough, and that's fair. The Namibian government made this agreement without consulting them. That's fair. That's, I do not. Uh, I cede the floor to the Herrero Nama people. On yeah, their I'm not the one who. Well, I did get genocided here. Yeah, exactly. That is up to them. And just because someone apologizes does not mean you have to accept it. No, you do not. Personal, professional, any of that shit. 
Exactly. And in case you've been genocided, I guess. I mean, like if Turkey apologized for the Armenian uh, genocide tomorrow, I wouldn't forgive them. <laughs> just like I, no, I'm not no. shocked. And never, you couldn't reasonably be expected. Yeah, to. just like I'm not shocked whenever a Jewish person tells me they don't forgive Germany. Like no shit. <laughs> Except I, I do drive a Volkswagen car because I'm an idiot person. <laughs> it's a nice car. It's fine. It's probably made, made in the same factory they made my Toyota. It's fine. It's made in Mexico. Yeah, exactly. It employed precisely one German, probably. <laughs> Hans, I'm coming for you. And I, but I think we can all agree that there's no monetary amount that could be enough to make up for the destruction of two nations of people. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. Now, thankfully, we do have something that is not genocide-based we can talk about in this episode, and that is our question from the Legion. Um, now... If you would like to ask us a question from the Legion, you can donate to the show, which I don't know why you would after the last two hours of podcasts. Um, Sorry. <laughs> ask us uh, random you know, nothing questions um, and we will answer them on air. If you have something like deep and meaningful, save it for a Q&A because like, those, those deserve good answers. You know what I mean, um, what, is your, what is your least favorite food and uh, why did you eat Tomatoes. it? Tomatoes? That's just like an. I hate, I hate tomatoes. But like, what's your least favorite no. dish? Tomatoes. <laughs> tomatoes. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't fuck with lamb. You don't fuck with lamb? That's col- that, that's culturally lamb. damaging to me. I. You know what? I will eat lamb occasionally, but uh, lamb really makes my stomach hurt, and I feel like a bad person when I eat it. Oh, that's fair enough. I mean, uh, I have to like be really careful about what I eat because I've I have. What is known in the medical community as a huge bitch stomach now? Yes, I, I feel that. I didn't used to. I got my gallbladder removed, uh, and now my body does not process fats correctly. So, wh- Ooh, which unfortunately are the best sad. things. Yeah. I just checked my spam email, and uh, Blue States Pack wants me to know that Rand Paul is wetting himself. That's really what the subject of this email is. That is my least favorite food. Um, yeah, Rand Paul. Rand Paul's neighbor, where you at? <laughs> um, I don't know what mine is, honestly. Um, I, I don't know. I had rotten shark in Iceland. I would say that wasn't very good. Oh, that doesn't sound good. Oh, I actually, I actually have a real answer. I cannot stand the taste of fish. Any fish? I will eat. I will eat. I will eat like fish and chips. I had fish and chips for the first time in years. A couple fish of weeks ago. Slap. It's the only it's nice thing fine. I have to say about Britain. <laughs> but like, I, I won't fucking eat uh, salmon. Like, I won't eat tuna if I can avoid it. Like, I really, genuinely and truly hate the taste of have fish. Have you ever had poke? No. Okay, that, that'll change your mind. I won't eat, I, like, I won't eat sushi. I'll, I'll, if that's similar. I will force you down and then shove it in your mouth. Uh, until you until oh, you romance. until you enjoy poke, <laughs> uh, but leave your wife for me, Jill. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I I guess the rotten shark, but of course that tasted bad, right? That's it's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to taste terrible. You ever had lutefisk? I've smelled it, and that was enough. Yeah. Um, I really don't like gefilte fish. Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> like I, I also do not like filter fish. I, I went to, uh, I don't know what kind of dinner it was. I got invited to a dinner with a friend of mine, and they had g- like a seder, yeah, something like that. And they offer me gefil- And I, if you offer me something, I will not turn it down, even if I don't want to eat it. Um, which is a problem sometimes. 
Um, and I'm like, that looks and smells disgusting, but I will eat it. And it tasted exactly how it looked and smelled. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But Liam, thank you for joining me through what might be the grimmest episode this podcast has ever done. Um, plug your show uh, since it, it fits so nicely here. Hi, my name is Liam Anderson. I'm on another podcast called Well, There's Your Problem. It's about engineering disasters. Sometimes it's grim. Usually, at least it's grimmer for shorter amounts of time. <laughs> that That's your lions led by donkeys promise. It's going to be awful, and it's going to be awful for, for a very long time. Um, but thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, and uh, we will see you next time. I have no cute way to end this one. Don't do, Don't genocide. do genocide. There you go.